But what I've found is it's evolved because with journaling, it's one of those things that you don't have to, and you have like talking therapies. I mean, when I went through CBT, I just kind of walked away from it. They were saying, get a coloring book. Here's a coloring book, do a jigsaw. And I was like, that doesn't work for me. That, that is, you know, I needed something that was challenging myself in a way that I could put thoughts down, but then I could relate to them and then look at them because I'm very analytical. And I got to explain how I had like an analytical brain. And they were like, because uh, I always ask, oh, what's that? And then the best answer that was given was, when people hear a piece of music, most people are like, oh, I like that. My brain started saying, oh, how do you play it? It's one of those things I like breaking things down. So I kind of thought, well, how, why did I feel like this? Or why did I think that? Or what did I find that part of it? And what I did was I kind of built a bigger picture of it. So it's kind of like on day, on say a Monday, I felt like this when I woke up or when I, this time of day, or that time of day. So I would challenge those thoughts. I would say, I'd say to myself, how can I overcome that? Or how can I, because I'm a, I'm a natural problem solver. I look at this problem and I think, okay, so that happened. Why did that happen? Welcome to the show. I'm Joe Horton. On the Guild of Dad show, we unwrap weekly the incredible stories, skills, and expertise of the world's most captivating dads and experts. If you're a first-time listener, we have insightful conversations with people who are truly masters at work. Fascinating individuals, best-selling authors, entrepreneurs, and ultra-athletes, professors, relationship experts, and today, I delve into how the unpackaging of difficult thoughts, emotions, and feelings by the simple art of journaling radically changed one dad's life. Fundamental to many of the conversations that I have on this podcast are around the notion of completely changing your relationship to thought, and for dads in particular, freeing yourself from being a prisoner of your thoughts. Every conversation we have translates the experience and expertise of our guests into practical knowledge you can use to better understand yourself as a dad, and in the process, improve your physical health, mental health, relationships, career, and the way in which you show up to the world as a role model to the next generation. Today, I speak to a dad who via journaling was able to process the difficulties of PTSD and in the process, go on to write a number of books and via the process of creativity, launch his own podcast. My guest today is Chris Williams, who is a creative writer, self-published author, and host of the Dark Side podcast. Chris and I discuss how he used creativity and the art of writing to really grapple with mental health issues after being medically discharged from the Royal Navy in 2002. The therapeutic nature of processing emotion and thoughts by putting them into the written word. A technique he uses called the method of Loki and the way that adults can be more childlike in how to harness the skill of taking things apart and putting them back together again in order to understand them better. We also talk about how men process thought in the modern world, ancient traditions like Stoicism, and the power of refinding your tribe. If you ever wonder how some of my amazing guests get to where they are in life, the athletes, the entrepreneurs, those making a massive impact on the world, I can tell you that pretty much all of them follow a very deliberate plan or system of some kind. This is exactly what I do too, and I'm revealing how you can implement a plan and system in your own life completely free in my ebook, The Dad Blueprint. You can grab a copy over at guildofdads.com forward slash dad. Incidentally, many of the people I interview on this show will be leveraging the power of similar systems to radically level up their lives. So you will be in amazing company. And now, 
to my conversation with Chris Michaels. Chris, welcome to the Guild of Dads podcast. Great to be on. Pleasure to have you get us on tonight. Likewise, likewise. What is I found fascinating about you is that I can't even remember how I first linked up with you, but I have linked up with you and every uh, weekday evening, it seems, during December, I'd be on my way to Audi and your live stream would pop up and I'd start listening to it and then my wife would ring me some minutes later and say, when are you going to be back from Audi? And I'd be like, uh, I just got delayed. And the reason being was because I was sitting in the car park at Audi <laughs> listening to you having conversations with your guests. And what I really loved about the conversations that you have on your own podcast, the Dark Side podcast, is the way that they are quite organic and you really do delve into the kind of art of conversation, as I would call it. Where yeah. did you, where did your inspiration for the Dark Side podcast come about, Chris? It, well, you're talking about five years ago now, so this has been a continuation of like five years because originally what it started from, well, it was originally the page was called Welcome Back Dark Side. Now, the, what that correlated to was the book, it was the second book I wrote, um, and it was the case that I already wrote one previous to that, so it was like uh, Darkness Be My Friend. It came and you just kind of got to go back back on the story. But originally, what it was was part of like that I call like almost therapy and uh, was like journaling. I found it was like to be a massive help. So all the thoughts, this, that, put it all into words. Uh, but it's very small little sentences that I kind of thought, oh well, that would work. That would work. I kind of thought that right. What can I think of that? So it's kind of like you get the, the three steps, almost your three goals or your gratitude lists and everything. So what I did was I started putting a lot more context into it. So I started writing things down, just little sentences. And what it was, was that then suddenly built up and I suddenly thought, and something I always wanted to do was build, was write a book. And it was just, and I just had this idea and it was like just the idea and the little story and then try and get the context and background, put it, fit it into place. So originally what I did was these chapters started just falling into place as I was starting to build the ideas, create it, create it, create it. And it just took a while but it all kind of fell into place and what it was was and it was like a personal achievement to myself and that I wanted to write this book I wanted to if it was one life goal that I wanted to tick the box off was always write a book and I was like right I've done that now so what it was was I came back and I was like right so what can I do now and I, what I wanted to do was I I'd had quite a bit of journaling that I'd put down on the word and I was like right how do I build this into a book how do I build this into a story and I didn't really want it kind of say, hey, look at me, this is, this is my story. Because to me, I'm just one of thousands. I am just literally just, you know, there's so many people with a story behind them. So what I kind of done was started, like I said, kind of put it into this context of chapter by chapter. And what it did was to create the book. And it was kind of like I used the word, the first book was Darkness Be My Friend, because you, when you're in that that mindset, it's very dark and it's that part of it. But then Welcome Back to the Dark Side. And people said it's a very dark title. Why choose that? And I kind of said, it's like, you go back into that area of your life, but then you choose how to change the game, how to play the game. Mm. Because people often forget that. When they go through these hard times, they often think, this is me, I'm, nothing's going to change. But what it is, is you can always step that one step further, come back on yourself and change the way things are. So what I did was, I wanted, like I say, welcome back to the dark side. So you've already been in that place. You've kind of evolved that one or two steps forward. You've then gone back and changed it. And I wanted to do was kind of this is this is what helped me. This is what I experienced. This is what I thought this is how I felt. So what I want to do is so people had that idea 
thus then when instagram started obviously the, i've never really spent any time on instagram to be honest i just thought oh, i was just people putting pictures up you know there's there's nothing of value that and i know i just kind of overlooked it and i was kind of like i'd always had facebook then i started thinking oh i'll just create my own personal page and what it was was it was i started thinking oh well if i add this into the my page but i didn't want just a quote i didn't want something that people just scroll by you see what it would be i wanted to have something that correlated to text underneath always got to have like context to it because a lot of people will put a quote to it but i used to say well why did you put that for what may what does that mean to you what does that like explain something is it a thought is it a feeling so i'll always add the context into it and people started actually liking it started getting a bit bit more following a bit more likes of the and i thought oh well this seems to be working and what it was was actually um obviously a mate of mine i'd been following for a while obviously going jones um and we started chatting backwards and forwards and i says to him i said i'm going to launch this as as an original page because i think it's got some real depth to it and i asked him and i said what do you think i mean the guy's like a best-selling author you know new york times and like i was like and he said yeah go for it it's good and i was like right i'm on it so i created its own page and it kind of grew from that and like the very story and i was and I always say it, a journey of a, a thousand miles starts with that single step and you have to start somewhere. And I remember I had one follower. That was it, one follower. And I think I got about two likes. And I was like, well, that first post done. And it just built and built and built. And as what it was, was as I was building a page, I'd already kind of released, wrote and released, um, went back to Dark Side, I published it on, uh, on Amazon. And I never really thought much of it. So I'd already had the context and the, the information there but i'd never used it really hmm. on its own i then started writing it was one called light within the dark side so i wanted to do is transform it into a, like a trilogy so you kind of got the beginning the middle and then that end part of like that evolution so that was something that i'd always been massively interested in and then once again it started building and then what it was was i started writing my fourth book and that was um the art of chasing demons and the seven sins because i'd always had this idea is there a connection between addictions and sins and what i started doing was taking pieces out of the book and then actually putting a post out there with words on it so you got that like relatable context and i found people then i started getting a lot more like following and people was oh, i like this i like that and it, and that's what it was it started just building and building and building and me following and us and obviously that started uh, like expanding started following a lot more people and it's got bigger and then as like, obviously time went by i suddenly it was last year i obviously with lockdown and i was like someone just clicked in my head i'd been listening to a lot of podcasts for a long time for about a good six months a year something like that and i'd listened to that many and i thought instead of putting a post out there saying oh i really like this person this comes from this person i decided that i wanted to speak to these people and i was like could i do this so i built up a pretty good relationship you know with quite a few people and i was like right so i, I thought right i'll just do a little i kind of done a few intros almost and just started doing a like background because people always ask how did you get into writing and I was like, right, if I put it into like a, a podcast form, people look and listen to it and might guess my ideas from it. Because I always said, if a person get one thing from this, you know, and if it helps one person, that's my job done. And believe me, I would have been finished a long time ago, you know, because I found it and I don't know where it come from. And 
the, the following just kept building and building and building. It's like this momentum just happening. And every like posting, I started seeing it's not a, like a, a place of ego, but you kind of, or that whole like dopamine hit of like keep, when you log in and you see so many people like your post or, you know, the feedback I was getting. And I, but I did start seeing this, this like the likes started getting higher, the um, shares, you know, the comments, the positive feedback. And I was like, right, okay. So I started just building it up, building it up, building it up. And it was, it was actually through that time of releasing that book, uh, Chase, uh, The Art of Chasing Demons, that I found that this is when I started connecting a lot more people. I started like networking. Um, and what I found was I was getting the people on. And the first guest was um, Jane McGill, a friend of mine. And we thought, oh, we'll just roll with it. You know, we'll just have like, I thought, well, what, to do a podcast, do I do a Zoom? Do I do a Skype? And I thought this idea has come in my head of like, well, why don't I just use Instagram Live? You know, just simply just go on there. It's a, it's an hour. It is one hour where I've got to be like disciplined. And and I thought I'd listened to quite a few podcasts anyway, so I had it, I had this like idea that sometimes I found that people are quite structured. You probably found yourself. Some people are just like, right, I've got ten questions. I want you to answer ten questions. I didn't want that format. I wanted it so relaxed. The people, because believe me, before and it still happens even to this day. Before you do a podcast, you're like breathe your anxiety starting to hit that roof of like right this is i'm speaking to and some of the guests i was it was literally a couple of minutes beforehand i'd have to literally just start calm myself down right i've got this and it's and people saying you're so natural i was like you never saw us five minutes before i even press record you know but it it was that part that and then speaking to obviously one person and i started thinking all right well that seemed to go quite well so I started asking other people that I obviously got connections with. And I was like, oh, do you want to come on? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And it just built and built. And especially for that lockdown period, I was doing like three a week. And I had, and then what it was was I started thinking, oh, I'll get this person on. I'll get that person on. And some of them have become very good friends now. Like Eddie Cohn, very good friend of mine now. And like me and Eddie always chatting backwards and forwards. And uh, like I said, I obviously had Dean Stott on there, um, who I obviously met previously. And that was through, and um, that was actually through Gaze as well. I went to London, and, um, went done the Veteran State of Mind live podcast. So I met up with Dean there and Gaze and a few other people. And it was just these guests that found, and, and I was surprised myself that they were interested in coming on hmm. and saying, I really like what you're doing. And I was like, right, cool. You know, I'm actually getting some traction here. And it's just built and built and built and built. And, I, and to be honest, I don't know how it's got to this point. <laughs> you know, the people that people generally are like interested in what I do. And people say you just have this very relaxed way of doing it. Cause I think, well, I want to be relaxed. They want to be relaxed, but I don't want to fire loads of questions. What I do is I try and feed that into it. And that's really, that was, I'd say that was the, the, the long and the short of it. Um, that would be that part of it where it, that's how it became. Mm. And when, when you, you talk about the journaling at the beginning, was there yeah. were you were you journaling for like a therapeutic value? Was there a reason why you began to journal in the first place and and actually got into the practice of journaling? Because journaling has come up a number of times on recent episodes in my own podcast in terms of particularly men's mental health. In fact, one of my previous guests, John Gray, talks about men needing to have what he calls cave time. And one of the best yeah. ways in order to do that is to actually go out and journal, journal out about kind of strong emotions and either have like a like a daily journaling practice or 
or a practice of actually journaling when you're when you've got a difficult thing that you're trying to overcome was that your experience that you were using it as a as a therapeutic thing to actually kind of journal out your thoughts prior to starting writing the books and stuff yeah it, it was it, i found because obviously after leaving the obviously being medically discharged from the uh, military and the navy and that and like, obviously then finding out that the diagnosis was post-traumatic stress and i was like I'd never had a clue what it was, to be honest. I just thought, well, I, I, I actually denied it at first. I was like, well, how can I have that? You know, I've never served frontline, but then it was explained to us. It doesn't just affect people that are uh, seeing combat. It explained, you know, and it's it's all these different elements to it. And I was like, all right. So I started trying to get as much information as I can. And I found myself that writing things down helps because what it does is sometimes you just don't want to talk about it. You just don't, people ask questions. And it's like, I want to put my thought down on paper or down to a context where I can start looking at it and understanding it. So it's like, but what I found is it's evolved because with journaling, it's one of those things that you don't have to, and you have like talking therapies. I mean, when I went through CBT, I just kind of walked away from it. They were saying, get a coloring book. Here's a coloring book, do a jigsaw. And I was like, that doesn't work for me. That, that is, you know, I needed something that was challenging myself in a way that I could put thoughts down but then I could relate to them and then look at them because I'm very analytical. And I got to explain how I had like an analytical brain. And they were like, because uh, I always ask, oh, what's that? And then the best answer that was given was, when people hear a piece of music, most people are like, oh, I like that. My brain started saying, oh, how do you play it? It's one of those sounds I like breaking things down. So I kind of thought, well, how, why did I feel like this for? Or why did I think that? Or what? did I find that part of it? And what I did was I kind of built a bigger picture of it. So it's kind of like on day on say a Monday, I felt like this when I woke up or when I, this time of day or that time of day. So I would challenge those thoughts. I would say, I'd say to myself, how can I overcome that? Or how can I, cause I'm a, I'm a natural problem solver. I look at this problem and I think, okay, so that happened. Why did that happen? And the good part about it is with journaling is I'd already done. I tried a lot of different like therapies, techniques, meditation. Um, I'd even, and the, one of the best ones I found was one called the method of Loki. So it kind of like the thoughts I'd wrote down, it worked with that because what it technically does is think of it as like a lockable air, somewhere you can go into and you can lock. And what I found was say a ship being obviously Navy and you have, you know, different areas on the ship where you can lock doors, watertight doors, You've even got somewhere that's like disposes of rubbish. So the way the method of Loki works, it's almost like your thoughts. So you divide your thoughts between positive and negative thoughts. And what you do is you then start breaking those thoughts down further and further and further. And what you do is you remove the negative aspect of it. So you think that was a negative part, but I've removed the positive. What positive was in it? Because I've always said there's always a positive within any negative and I find that what you do is you extract the negative, but in this like like area, this ship that I created in my own head when I was meditating was right. I'm going to put all that rubbish into that part. That's the bad. That's the negative. Put that one side. Keep the good parts of it and the positive parts and the things I've learned from the things I can gain that experience from. And I kind of kept separating it. So the thoughts I had, and what I used to do was get a piece of paper and write down the positive side on one side, the negative side on the other side. But what could, what did I learn from that? So journaling has many different angles to it. It's not just, say, write three things down is the most basic ones, the gratitude. 
And then what I found was I did, I started a job and I was doing direct marketing. And I actually found this and I didn't realize it was a journal at the time to explain to us what you do is you've got like three goals. So you've got your three goals in the morning. So start the day or even at night time, what do you want the next day? So you've got three goals, but it was like, okay, so you want to create them. You want to achieve that. But how are you, what actions are you going to put to those to make it happen? And this is where journaling works. And there's a lot of people now it's become massive. It's a whole journal area because it's such a simple technique. You've got your, like I said, you've got your gratitude list. You've got your, you know, all this part. And people don't realize that a simple book and a pen, it takes away the, the whole area of technology. So you haven't got notifications going off every 30 seconds. You know, you can put a phone to one side and get a book and you can actually write things down. And what it is, is you're technically or should I say physically connected to that paper. You're physically connected to that, you know, the whole writing again. So Because I kind of had to teach myself how to read and write a bit better and in a way because the brain gets a bit scrambled, you know. Yeah. And what it is, is, I kind of found that having to teach myself how to read and write again in a way that was like, right, how I understood something. So what I did was I was writing things down, but then what I was doing was taking, looking at that and think, okay, so can I take the positive from it? What positives? You've always got to look at that aspect. And that's where the whole journaling came around and how I applied it, you see. Mm. That's interesting because I think that what I've noticed is that in all of the people that I speak to and particularly dads and men in particular i think that there is like a, a need to try and deconstruct things and understand things and i think that when you kind of are able to take things apart and play around with them and deconstruct them i think it lessens their power but it also yeah. it also plays into the the kind of male need to try and fix stuff and because i think that i think for men and dads we like to kind of be fixers of things and if we can kind of understand and take apart things it enables us to feel as if we're kind of from a you know you're you're you have a you have a previous experience in engineering and it's that same thing of yeah. being able to take something apart and put it back together again and i love the way when you hear guys like Jordan Peterson, he is like a master at this kind of technique where where you'll hear him in lectures and he'll and, and he'll say I've not quite formed my thoughts. My thoughts aren't fully formed on this at the moment yet. I need to do some more work on this. And what he's saying is, is I need to kind of go away, take this apart, play around with it, put it back together again. And then I can kind of formulate what my thoughts are going to be on it. Uh, and it's a very kind of powerful, powerful technique that a lot of people use. But I think that I've noticed a lot of Joe public don't feel that they're bright enough or intelligent enough to do this. And one of the things I've said to people before is that anyone can do this with a bit of practice, start to kind of take apart things and kind of put them back together. And one of the, one of the areas that fascinates me is the subject of meaning. I do a lot of reading around the subject of meaning. One of my influences is Victor Frankl. And so that whole area is some an area that I kind of take apart and put it back together again. And for instance, this week on the whiteboard I've got over there to my left, you know, I was upstairs having a shower <laughs> and I came out of the shower and all of a sudden, you you know what it's like when all of a sudden three or four light bulbs go off in your brain yeah. and I'm like, and I've like got like a towel halfway around me and, and uh, sort of like dash down the stairs 
and my wife's probably thinking, why is he running down the stairs to his whiteboard sort of thing? And I grab a black marker pen and I just start scrawling and stuff. And it sounds like, it kind of sounds like Carrie Matheson on Homeland, but it's not quite as bad as that. But it's, it's when you get like a thought and you start to connect the dots on something, you have to get it down either on a piece of paper or whiteboard yeah. or whatever. And then you sort of stand back and you look at it and you think, hmm, not too sure about whether this makes sense. So maybe that needs to go there or that needs to go there. And it's kind of fun, but also therapeutic at the same time, isn't it? It is, because what it is, is i found is when we were children, we kind of lost the art of that when we become adults. So what we've done was we create problems for ourselves where children are very carefree. You watch your kids playing or you watch your kids trying to put someone together. And I found that a lot of things in life, it's almost like you think of it as like call it the Lego theory. So if somebody was to give you a Lego kit and say, right, now build that. As a child, a child's very inquisitive. It will try to find the pieces. And it doesn't care about color codes, but it's what it does is it gives a very structure. So the following instructions, put them piece by piece, trying to follow it and trying to build this kit. But when we become adults, we overthink things. We overcomplicate everything. So we kind of, it's got to be right. It's got to be right. We're, we kind of try and become perfectionists, which is wrong. Because mm-hmm. always like that, I love that quote, um, you know, progress over perfection, you know. But what it is, is with Lego kits, it's the same as adults. When we look at it, it's the same Lego kit, but our mindset changes. So as a child, we kind of enjoy that process of learning how to put things together, trying how to build something. And then, but as adults, we kind of get frustrated because what we've done is we've put actually self-pressure on ourselves. We'll tend to think, well, that should be right every time. And we become like almost trying to be perfectionists where we've got to forget that art form. We've got to then revert back to that child mind almost, that mindset. Because it's almost like this end, a whiteboard. It's like I do it all the time. I'll just, I've got loads and loads of drafts that I'll think, I'll oh, chuck a few words in. Oh, that was a good idea. Oh, chuck this in. Chuck that. It's the same as a whiteboard theory. You kind of just scribble things down. And it was the same as I've got, uh, I love, um, it's Mike Oldfield's a musician. And he used to ha- have like a piece of paper and a pencil. And he'd like, sit there and write musical parts down and say, oh. And he'd be next to his pool and he'd, and he'd just get this, you know, his piece of paper out and he'd start writing music down, you know, because. I think, with, as like I said, as men, it's a bit like we have forgotten the art of ch- uh, being children. We kind of think once we get into adulthood, we've got to forget that part. We kind of disconnect ourselves from that. We put so much self-pressure on ourselves, and especially in like tasks. And, and when it comes to our own children, we kind of have to, you know, we'll look at it and we we'll could almost take over. Because you think, oh, it's got to be done, it's got to be done. And we put that self-pressure on it instead of enjoying that moment. Mm. And it's interesting you say that, actually, because I've been forming a thought in my own mind recently around the whole idea of kind of men's mental health. And one of the things that seems to keep buzzing around in my head quite a lot is this kind of notion that in the last period of history, men have kind of forgotten how to develop this relationship with their own thoughts and I saw one of your posts recently where you've where you've got the, a page of the Daily Stoic which funny enough I've got on my desk down there at the moment mm. and and this notion that that I think in the last little while men have kind of have lost the ability to um, 
have that relationship with their own thoughts and understand how their own thoughts work and how the inner mind works that these kind of ancient traditions of stoicism and you know buddhism and and the like enabled people to kind of be almost their own kind of therapists if you like at the same time as men's tribes have been stripped away and you're kind of losing that kind of brotherhood and you just saying to me about this childlike ability to kind of take a concept and kind of play around with it as well that's almost like a third string to that conversation that 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 men have kind of lost that ability to because it sounds to me like you have kind of rediscovered that inner creativity which i think again is a kind of common denominator in a lot of guys who begin to understand their mind a lot better they they're willing to play around with that inner childlike creativity a lot more so there's a number of things kind of coming together in this whole discussion around mental health and and I often think that there's almost like a it's it's almost like the perfect storm happening at at the minute in the in the kind of modern world if that makes any sense yeah yeah definitely cuz I've found myself and I was kind of like I put this down and I kind of threw this thought out there a while back with mental health is the foundation of it's is frustration because you're frustrated because you're you're put into situations that you can't control and what was and i love that area of the controllable so you just concentrate on what you can control you forget what's out of your control so you just got control on your own thoughts your own actions you know your own speech everything it's like you are in control of that part everything else you've got to forget because you've got no control of it and i think as men what we do is we kind of like pressure ourselves into having to have that control we almost are like control freaks in a way you know some element because everything's got to be either perfect or it's got to be right or it's got to be done now or it's got to be done here the problem is though as time's gone by and plus also the other part of it is it's that whole ego this is where the ego comes in play you know and i love people like ryan holiday because he'll break things down but that other part of it, the ego that is the that is almost if you look at it the barrier of what we put on, we self-impose the barrier of ego because we've got to stand there and be like, it's almost like the chimp brain comes back into play and it's like, well, you've got to act like this, you've got to act like that. Where if you think back in the, back in stoic days and, you know, days gone by, it was very much like men didn't really need to have a label because they just acted, they that, they were their actions. And it, with the thought process, especially if you look at stoic content, it's very straightforward. Even if you look at Marcus Aurelius, he was, it's very straightforward, but it's, it's correct in the form that he's used mm. because he'll put it down and think, this is what I thought. This is the actions I'm going to take. But also what you look at now, it's been good that it's now been introduced because it's teaching men to accept that we can have thoughts, whether they're good, the bad, you know, some days are good. Some days are bad. Some days that you're, you're, you're happy. Some days you're not. It's, it's that whole continuation that now we're starting to read a lot more content that's been put out there, especially stoic content. But what we've done is we have, you know, and it's great also because there's that many books now being released, you know, over the time. And there's so much being introduced because men, I think we've kind of forgotten who we really are mm. in that sense. We've become a product of our own, like almost negativity, because what we've done is we've got, we're kind of always trying to live up to this standard this is what we should do. This is the way we should act. This is, you know, and it's kind of imposed on us 
that we should act that way and ask whether you, you know you're just a single man you're a dad what you know what i mean it's it's kind of we put that self-pressure back on ourselves continuously isn't it yeah and i think and i think the the societal pressure is that men should be more like women but actually we men are very different in how they process stuff to women and they're very different in how they interact with women and they're very different in terms of how the setup of their tribe needs to be uh, compared to women and i think what's kind of what what's interesting from what you're saying about uh, about stoicism is that and and following on from this kind of discussion is that we've lived in times of abundance for such a long time now and times of comfort for such a long time now that i think that when people are uncomfortable either either physically or mentally it it sends people's heads into a bit of a tailspin because they think actually something's wrong i shouldn't feel uncomfortable it should be a smooth journey it should be you know you know a calm mill pond uh a a sea that's free of storms and just just calm and uh, serene and i think it's that's what blows guys minds when something happens that they're not uh, prepared for and i think that the quality a lot of these ancient traditions have is this is this notion that actually it's okay to be uncomfortable it's okay to be in a state where you're uncomfortable and the world is not going to end if you feel uncomfortable and and i think that one thing i've noticed about particular particularly when i've interviewed ultra athletes they kind of get this because they know that there is this place of un, of discomfort where where they can get comfortable in that place of discomfort is where that spiritual growth begins to occur because they're putting themselves in that fear position they're putting themselves in that discomfort position and also they're putting their, themselves in that position of the unknown going back to what you said about control it's an unknown place where they're going to they don't know they don't know what where the pain is going to go at mile 56 or mile 72 or whatever it's going to be and this notion of being comfortable with being uncomfortable is really something that I think that would benefit men a lot to get their head around a lot more. Yeah, definitely. Because it's something that that's a concept that I've worked on for quite a while. I always believed, and I've watched it for a while now, we've become so comfortable with becoming uncomfortable, but it's with fixed ideas. So what we done, we kind of, we source everything we need. Oh, we'll, we'll get this idea. Or it could be a Jocko, you know, or it could be David Goggins. Or it's, this is, this is all fixed ideas. This has already been. But the problem is, though, there's a great quote out there, and I love this one. It's called, I'd rather be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. Because mm. essentially what that stands for is, as time goes by, we've come from a warrior culture as men. And it's kind of like, and that's, uh, if you think about it, wars were big. And as years have gone by, they've got smaller and smaller and smaller. And yes, we've had the, the Afghan period, have the Iraq period, but really they were just con- they're concentrated moments in time. And that was the, really the only time that men could, you know, could be that almost like that back to their original roots. But the, that was only a small percentage of society of the world when we think about it. But what it is now is, as time gone by, we have become more comfortable with everything. It's become, we've got the com- you know, comfortable homes, we've got, you know, we've got smartphones, we've got laptops, we've got everything there. So it's all there for you. You don't need to do anything. You want to find out an answer? Google it. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to, you, you know, get some inspiration from somewhere? YouTube it. 
You know, it's all there. All these tools have been presented to us. But it's and plus also there has been a demise of obviously labour jobs as well. That's been massively. And I and I think what it is, it, as society has moved forward, technology has become so prominent in its way and its form that men have become that more where you used to look at and you almost just separate. You used to have the labourers, you used to have the offer stuff. You know, and it, it's almost like that part of the labourers has decreased, but the the actual like office stuff has increased. So we're mm-hmm. becoming more comfortable situations. You know, when you work in that labour area, and especially if you go back to like say mining times, and a lot of the you know the industries that was there, it was very very hard work. You know, dirty hard work. But when you work in an office environment, it's very clean, very comfortable. So you've got to think about that that shift, that transition. And when I like correlated to that quote. You know, it's better to be a warrior in the garden than a garden in the war. So it's always better to be ready. It's always, you know, you can be as peaceful as you like, but you're always ready to act, mm. you know, rather than being constantly peaceful, but not knowing when to act. Yeah. And that's where it correlates a lot with martial arts as well, that I find. And with men, and especially in the last, like, say, 20 years, what's the good part about it is men have kind of found their own tribes again, whether it be sports and especially down to martial arts. Because obviously I've like, obviously I've trained a lot in martial arts and I see that a lot and it's that men are and it's that great book Sebastian Junger's tribe fantastic book it is because he really hit the nail on the head when he said that because it is you are that tribe you come from like say a military tribe and you leave and you kind of think I've lost my tribe now and I, I think the other part of it is because I've got a friend my name Brian Basho he got a podcast at states and obviously we've both been on each other's podcasts and we talk about this a lot it's almost like men have kind of been a lot of times you felt like you were shamed to be a man at one point it was like it was wrong you know to act this way it's wrong to think this way wrong to think that way but what it is a lot of men is you've got to think you can be the strong man still be that tribe but you can also show that emotion as well. Mm-hmm. It's breaking down that toxic masculinity area, mm-hmm. which I don't think should ever exist. And once again, that's the ego coming to place when you've been labelled. Gents, I'm going to quickly jump in here because I have an exciting announcement. If you tuned in for any period of time or grabbed a copy of my book, The Dad Blueprint, you will be familiar with my journey and why I started Guild of Dads. I discuss how I struggled by myself for a long time before I had the good fortune to get around other men on a similar journey to me, which is when my life really changed for the better. Which is why I'm excited to announce that I've built my own community of men and dads called The Dad Circle, which has just opened its doors and I'm looking for 20 men like you to become founder members at a special lifetime rate of just £40. But you'll need to get in now because once these spots are filled, the monthly subscription is £80 per month. So what do you get? A private members area. This is a bespoke area where you can set up a customised profile away from social media so you can link up with other men and share ideas, suggestions, insights and strategies to help you succeed, leaving you more time to focus on becoming the dad you always wanted to be. Weekly virtual Zoom sessions in which you'll have an opportunity to join others to discuss a monthly topic so you can share experiences and gain insight about yourself from the comfort of your own home. 
A copy of my ebook, The Dad Blueprint. This book takes you chapter and verse through my own journey, but also the secret system I used in order to radically change my life. This includes a proven 12-week method and shortcuts to systemize your development, so no more chaotically trying to change all by yourself. Weekly virtual team calls in which you'll share your wins and losses for the week and be held accountable for keeping to your objectives and tactics to achieve them so that your growth is supercharged from day one and you're no longer doing this all alone. There's recordings of calls. Dads can't be everywhere at once, so calls are recorded, meaning you can access content at your convenience anytime, at your own pace and not feel overwhelmed. Monthly topics mean that we will explore a different topic monthly, which means you get to grow, learn and build your knowledge of yourself and others in a supportive environment. There's going to be physical and mental challenges. Many of us are living in a comfort zone and can achieve far more than we think. By engaging in challenges, you're able to see beyond what you thought was possible for yourself and grow in confidence and accomplishment. The monthly assignments that you'll have to complete will get you thinking and acting differently about an element of your life which will improve your self-worth and confidence. There's going to be a 12-week battle plan. This is a proven powerful system to help you identify where you want to go in life, how you'll get there, along with tracking resources. This means no more chaotically trying to improve here, there and everywhere. And with a growing resource library of videos, documents, templates and guides, this will help you succeed, learn and grow. The best bit? There's no contracts. If for any reason you find the dad circle is no longer for you, then you can leave at any time. No questions asked. If it's not for you, there's no, no obligation to stay. Want in? Lifetime member spots are filling fast. And once they are gone, that's it. To join, simply email me, joe, J-O-E, at guildofdads.com, and I will send you the details across. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I spoke to a guy called Andy Torbett uh, a little while back and he made the point that when he was when he was serving, he saw a lot more PTSD when he came back from serving than when he was actually serving. And he said yeah. um, to me, he said, I think it's because when we were serving, we had a brotherhood, we had, had our units, we had guys that had our back that we could talk to, but also we were going onto the battlefield and putting our lives on the line. But there was still that 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 sense of having guys that had your back would do anything for you you do anything for them you shared intimate moments with you with them if you were away from home for long periods of time you would you would be talking about stuff uh that you know that you missed at home and all this kind of so you'd so it was there was a therapeutic value to it but there was also this this brotherhood which you're right i think it's i i, I talk about the lone wolf fallacy where we've all looked at you know the Indiana Jones and the James Bond characters where they kind of act alone but in actual fact history tells us that that guys have generally been part of a tribe or a tight knit unit of guys who who have their backs and that's how we kind of operate best and i think the more we've moved away from that it's no coincidence that this is when when, when we've become a little bit unstuck in terms of you know yeah. where we are in the world yeah, definitely. Because it's it's that it's that part. It's right when you're in that tribal society, where it be military, like martial arts, you know, for anything in where there's that group of men, you're very strong together as one as a team. 
And it's almost like, if you think about it, it's like the whole Spartan 300. When you look at that as a, as a basic area, as you've got a group of men that will fight, stand and die together. And it, they'll fight for each other. And it's what it is. It's that part that once you disconnect from your tribe, you will feel like, it feels like you're taking the armour off now. You're like, whoa, I'm, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to connect. You don't know how to connect with other people outside that area. But the other part of it is, is you've got to look, because this is another part, because obviously for a good while now, obviously connect with good mate of mine, Rob Vickers. He's obviously former Royal Marine. He's got um, something called Jim Self-Harmers Club. And like, it basically, it's using fitness to overcome mental health. So he's, and, and I found it, that's like another little tribe that I've connected to. Then I've got like, obviously, like obviously martial arts I've done and I've got that little tribe and then it's all these little tribes. But because you kind of split into different areas, you might think, oh, I've got an interest in that and you've got an interest in that. But you'll suddenly find that once you connect back to people, they've got that understanding with you feel more comfortable almost. It's almost like you just relax again and you're like, right, I'm back on form. Because it's once you disconnect from that original tribe, you kind of find like, I'm disconnected. I don't know what to do. You find lost. And a lot of the problem is, though, is because I found this, and I said this as well to Glenn Horton when I spoke to him, and obviously Glenn being one of the top guys at LID, and he kind of, and I said to him, I believe it is once you leave the military, it's because what happens is there's a lot of external problems that happen. And that's a lot of pressure. And sometimes, and this is the, the big argument PTS, is a lot of times when people leave the military, it's not essentially the things that they've done there. It's once they've left, it's kind of like, it could be finances. It could be, right, how do I deal with this? How do I deal with that? I've got a family. How do I pay for this? How do I do this? You've got all this pressure on you that you never had that before. Mm. You know, because everything else was like either paid for or, you know, you, you didn't have a, really a problem. But once you've left that area, you've then got to kind of stand on your own feet, two feet again. And this is where a lot of the problems with PTS comes in, because there's people simply not able to handle. Because as we know yourself with stress and pressure, it's good to have that level of stress and pressure in our life. We've all got to do it. We've all have. And it's quite good. But it's once you get past that manageable state of it. Mm-hmm. And this is what a lot of, like, obviously, men who leave that tribal society feel because they kind of think, oh, I can't do this, I can't do that, or I've got to do this, I've got to do that. And it can be many different angles. And that's where there's a big problem with PTS, especially with the military, because um, I believe myself, like I said myself, 80%, probably only about 20% of my like PTS that was connected to was actually military service. The rest was actually from civilian. So it was kind of like you could see that that it wasn't all because I never served frontline. Yes, I was trained, but I, I didn't actually go frontline. So to me, a lot of the problems actually happen outside once you leave the service because they start losing their identity. And I, but I always say to people, it's you've always got that identity, whether you served in the army, you know, the Marines, the Navy, the Air Force. You'll always carry that. You earn that cap badge. You earn that uniform. You earn that, you know, that medal. You earn every part of it, so that's your, your identity still there. You've just forgotten, and like, and uh, that brings us back to another great quote of Mate Robs, and he uses the phrase, "Just remember who the f you are," because at the end of the day, as men, we've got to remember that. Remember who you are, and like he said, that was something that got him through a lot of dark times, being obviously former Royal Marine, 
and and it really are connected to it because obviously having served with the marines myself and like and and i kind of just clicked and was like yeah that makes sense because it is about remembering who you are at the end of the day you'll always be and we'll always travel through these different chapters of life and i think that's the other part of it the whole transition and the whole the way we understand things we get lost a lot of times because we're kind of trying to work things out and i think it brings it back to our original conversation of how we have problems or how we're trying to break it down we're always trying to be problem solvers we're always trying to find the solutions and that is the actual part that we get kind of like ah right do i do this do i do that and it's just taking that taking that knee almost and taking that breath isn't it Hmm, just taking a break from it and working out Sometimes it's also it's kind of seeing the simplicity in life, isn't it? Rather than overcomplicating stuff unnecessarily, which I think we all get kind of guilty of. One thing I really like about uh, you, Chris, as well, is that you're one of the few people that still hold the written word to be kind of uh, sacred, and that your words mean something, and that you use your words carefully. And I wondered what your thoughts were in terms of the kind of stage of history we're at right now, uh, you have, like I said previously, you have organic discussions on your podcast, which is what I like so much about it. But you spoke to me on a, on a uh, social media post today and you talked about some virtues such as honesty, truth and respect and loyalty. With so much of the conversation at the moment kind of be coming so polarized and words particularly being weaponized and used nefariously what are your thoughts on where we're at right now with that i think we're very disconnected and we're very fractured as a society because the problem is though it's and there's another great guy out there and i follow a lot of people because if i see someone i think i like that so it's like people like sinity's guild so you've got like guys from sinity's and he always says you are your actions which is absolutely correct because to me, words are meaningless half the time. It's your actions that count. And the problem is, is we've come to a society where there's a lot of like, you've got like, you've got people like the keyboard warriors or just, you know, or just write so much rubbish out there. And it's like, well, can you back up what you've just said? You know, and I think the other part of it is, is there's a lot of virtues and a lot of values. And, that's, and I look at it is because my transition through life, I've always believed that you stand by people 100%. You know, you've got that part and that's a part of the what obviously the military instilled in us. And then you've got people like obviously even the martial arts and I've got people like the gym self harmers. And I, and I kind of got that, got the, and it's, and the, but the number one part is your loyalty. It's the same as like to stand there and say your wedding vows, you are making a dedication and your commitment to that one person. So we think about it, we are making constant commitments. But what people are, is words are being said, but there's nothing to back them up. Mm. People are very much just to use words in the context of like, oh, that sounds good, or that sounds good, or that looks good. And it's they don't concrete in their beliefs. They don't backing it up. So you've always got to back up what you're saying. And that's the way I generally look at it. Because these values, they're naturally there. We've just forgotten them. You know, so you've got like honesty. You know, at the end of the day, like I always said, truth, truth will hurt you, but it won't hurt those that are ready to stand up and think, yeah, that's right. I did this. And it all comes back to that accountability part. So everything's interconnected in that sense of like honesty. You've got like loyalty. You've got like, you know, that whole disciplines. But the other part of it is, is 
I think as society now, words are quite cheap. They're used in a way, and they, and anybody can spout rubbish on a social media page, or any kind of platform, and even society. If you're not going to back up what you're saying, what truth is in those words? Because really, at the end of the day, that's why I say truth. Like really, words are cheap. They can be used so much that it's like yeah, you're just throwing them away. But what are your actions? What is it that you can honestly stand there and say? And say, can you? Are you loyal to people? Look around your own family. You know, your husband, your wife. You know, your children. They are your. That is your bond. And at the end of the day, the honesty, the truth. You know, loyalty. All those parts. That's your family. You protect them. Mm. And it's the way I look at it. Is you protect them with your life almost. You think, right? I'd put myself in harm's way for you, because you are what makes me. But also. These actions, you've always got to back up everything that you say. And that's the way I generally look at things, because why say it? You're only lying to yourself. And I've always said, if you're going to continue to lie for the rest of your life, you'll always look back and say you've never lived. Mm. Because everything you said is a lie, so there's nothing actually truth there. Yeah, yeah. And I think this, this interlinks so much with the conversation around ego at the minute, because I think that the a lot of people their egos are running the show to such such an extent now that it's constantly kind of like you say sound bites shooting from the hip you know a quick it's everything is kind of reactionary rather than kind of slow down and think you know what is going to be the way that i react to this in the way i want to kind of react to it and respond to it in the way i want to respond to it and these things are kind of interlinked you know we were talking about uh role models earlier on today and and it's all part and parcel of the same thing because I think that some of the people that we're seeing in kind of popular culture, they're not exhibiting those uh, virtues that we just discussed and yeah. they're infamous more than they're kind of famous or f- sometimes probably famous more than they're infamous. But either way, they're not for all the right reasons and I think that it's creating an issue where people will think where the younger generation are looking up to these people for all the kind of wrong reasons. And you're like, actually, you know, maybe we need to get back to a position where, you know, I can remember growing up, you know, I'm, I was born in 1979, so I'm 41 now, but I remember that there was always, not just from men, but also women as well, but there was always strong role models, both from sort of older women and older men as well that kind of permeated the kind of peripherals of, of our lives. And you would look up to and you'd say, I want to be like that person when I'm that age. Or, yeah. you know, for, for the ladies, it would be, I want to be like that woman when I get to that age. And, and But it just seems to me as if these people are kind of dying off. And But also with how we're so polarised now, a lot of these older, like what I would call wise voices, that, you know, if they heard stupidity, they'd be kind of like, don't be so stupid. And but some of these older, slightly wiser voices are really getting kind of drowned out by the noise that there is at the minute. And they're just not being listened to. You know, these are people with you know, and you talk about the military guys, some of these older guys that have seen years of service who, you know, what they've not seen isn't worth knowing. Yet these are people that you we really should be listening to a lot more because they have the experience. They've walked the walk. They've they've talked the talk, but they're just not being listened to these days. You know what I mean? 
agree with that on a lot of levels because the problem is, is I've found myself with the rise of social media over the last 20 years. It's that, in, it's that next, isn't it? It's almost like a dopamine hit. We've got to keep producing what's cool, what's great, what's this, what's that, what's the next one, what's, you know, who, who can next can we make money from? And it's almost like, you know, and people are constantly, oh, I've got to follow this, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. So what they're doing is they're constantly chasing the ghost because there'll never be these people and it keeps changing every five minutes. And the problem is though, we'll, it's almost like they, they kind of think, oh, I want to be like this person, I want to be like that. But it's, in a way that's false. We'll never be them people because it's actually, they're created. Mm. You know, they can be one person next moment and then somebody new will come in and they think, oh, and this is what kids are growing up and seeing this and they think, and I want to be like that. But they're not, they're saying role models because it's true. When you look back and then grow up in the 80s and the 90s, there was very solid role models there that you could think, I like that person or I like that person or you took something from that person and I like that part. But the other part of it, there is a lot of good as well. I mean, like I said, it is being drowned out. And it's always like that, that great quote, I'd rather be, you know, I mean, h- hated for being real, you know. And 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 then, you know, rather loved, you know. And and it's to me, it's like little things like that. They've got to be interjected back into society because we've lost so many people that the truth stood there, like Tupac said. And this is, remember this going back, and he stood there and said, I don't want kids to look up to me as I'm a role model. I'm a bad man. I've done bad things. And he was trying to tell kids, don't follow me. Don't do this. Don't do that. You know, I've been on that bad side of life. I'm not cool. And like he said, he never wanted the fame. He just wanted the money for his family. Mm. And there's a lot of people that are genuine role models that can stand there and say, don't follow me or don't respect me because I'm not there to be respected. I'm there to be learned from. Mm. Because if you, you know, don't, if you do the opposite of what they've done, then you'll live that good life because you'll avoid all, you know, those bad parts. You'll avoid going down that path. But mm. the problem is though now we're, it's very like wishy-washy and there's a lot of like, you know, and I think it is more done for that dopamine hit because at the end of the day, it's all about money. And you look at areas such as Hollywood, it is just one big production. Because it's almost like, and it's constant streamed, you know, it's a different celebrity each week and there's multiple sites. If you could remember yourself going back in the 80s, you had four channels. Yeah. That was it. That's all we got was four channels. And you think now we've got thousands. So your brains can't compute. It can't keep up this, this dump of information. And you're looking at a hundred different celebrities. And, you, and, and that's why I think there's a big problem with society. It's because kids growing up, especially in the last 20 years, they don't, they haven't got a solid foundation. They haven't got people like we grew up and thought, I like that actor or I like this person or I like that singer or I like that. Because they were there and they were constantly, they, they were always there that we could look to mm. as for like almost inspiration. Now, there's somebody new every five minutes. So how can kids ever take anything from it? And it's almost like one big pantomime. There's people just changing costumes constantly, you know, and, and it's like, it's actually setting a wrong, especially for kids now growing up, because there's nobody real. So we've got to lead by example as parents. We've got to say this, that's wrong or that's wrong. Or if we stand there and we need to lead by example, because that's the only way that you'll ever, and you've got to be that role model for your kids. You've got to stand there. And that's the other problem is we do live in society. And, and I'll be honest, I'll hold my hand out and say I'm accountable. How many times do we sit there and we're, overuse a mobile phone mm. you know 
and and as adults we've got to say anything and I'll, I'll call myself out all the time and i think yeah well the wife is is said oh get off the phone and i'm like true mm-hmm. put it to one side because we've always got to have somebody else there that's going to call us out our bs you know what i mean because we're lying to ourselves if we're sitting there just constantly on phones on you know tvs on this or that then our kids are going to learn from that we've got to like separate that part that we've got to lead by example so you know and it's all about accountability Mm. and that's what it is it comes back to that part it's all about that accountable accountability that we've got to put something on one side and say right that's done and so you know get involved with your kids be that role model get them involved in activities show that interest so it all comes back to standing there and and you become the role model because they're so distraction you know from all this like social media scene that they need somebody solid in their life that they can look to and actually see right you're doing this you're doing that and and you like i said and i think i'll always look at that way you lead by that example Mm, yeah it's there's there's a lot i think to sort of unpackage from the whole role model debate and i think and i think you're right there is not that kind of longevity in characters that there was before it is very much here today and gone tomorrow and and i think that our this is gonna make it's funny when you said about four channels because when i say to my kids we used to have four channels they look at me that like i'm from planet mars or something when i say that (laughs) and uh, it's quite amusing looking a sort of quizzical look on their face but i think what's what's interesting about that is that you that we've that we have not got that kind of longevity of of characters that we used to have but also i think our generation of sort of i would say 35 to i guess 50 we're the last of the generations to kind of play out in the street and you know and not have kind of mobile phones so we're the sort of we're the sort of the generation that straddles the digital era and the pre-digital era so we can remember what it used to be like and and i think that people now are kind of yearning maybe for that simplicity to come back a little bit more and be a little less connected and a little bit less available to everyone all the time and it's funny it's a paradox really in our discussion tonight because in some ways we're more connected than we've ever been but the but the irony of it is is people are more lonely than they've ever been absolutely because that is that's it i've said that myself we're more connected now than we've ever been but more disconnected so and I think this is where the good part of it is is about like there's a lot more now people going out outdoors you know doing adventures going to, you know exploring this area there's a lot more outdoor activity now than there ever you know, that has been for a long time there's always going to be positive and negatives to everything and I always say this about social media there's a lot of positive if you use it as a tool mm. yes you can connect to a lot of people you can network with people you know it's a great tool there it's there to be used but the the good part about it is we're now bringing this back. So we're the ones saying, right, let's go out there, hit the hills. Let's go out there and do these different events. Let's go out there. And hopefully by us creating the, and going out there and setting that example, then kids will follow. I mean, I'm, I did the third, I did the three peaks at, um, last year um, with Jim self harmers. It was a thir- we actually did 30 miles. So we'd done the full three peaks and so we started off like six o'clock in the morning, done the first peak. And it was just a group of us. It was actually 30 of us. And we did that 
And then what it was, we hit the second. It's fine. We're starting to go to the second, come up to the third. And then you suddenly saw just this line of people. But it wasn't just all adults. It was, a, it was families. And it was like all the, yeah, the moms and dads and ten the kids up on the third peak. And that one is, you know, and, oh, sorry, the second peak it was. It was the second peak because the third peak's absolutely murderous trying to get up that peak, what they've done now. So you literally red line in your lungs. I don't see many kids going up there. That's, like, you know what I mean? But it was actually great to see that families are out. But this is something that we've created now. It's good that adults are are actually taking that time and saying to the kids, right, let's get back out there. Let's put the phones down. Because we live in such a beautiful country. But the problem is, is we are very connected, which is great. Technology is there. But we've got to remember it's a tool. Mm. We are utilizing its its power. of like. But it's once again, with power comes great responsibility. So you then have to like look at that area of like, okay, let's start breaking those barriers down. If there's time for technology and it's used for its good form, mm. you've then got like that part where we need to then go back into nature and reconnect with nature because it has its own power. And it just makes a difference because that's another great thing. And I've seen so many projects happening in the last couple of years where people are reconnecting with the outdoors. And that's something we definitely need as a society is to get back. We are natural pagans, as I call it, because we come from there. We've got to return back to there. And it's great to see this movement that's happened. Yeah, yeah. And it's happened more than ever, actually, in the last year where where people have been limited in what they can do. So they're rediscovering all this stuff on their back, or literally on their back door, where they can go out into the woods or they can go out in walks and people are discovering footpaths that they've never discovered and stuff. And, uh, yeah, it's definitely... I think it's definitely going through a renaissance, definitely. Uh, kind of walking has become the new gym, if that makes any sense. Definitely in the last year, yeah, yeah. I would say. Chris, it's been an excellent conversation this evening and I'm very glad that I got you to come on and speak with me because we've been able to take apart quite a few different topics, particularly around you know relationship with thought and how we deconstruct that. That part of it I really love and also... I always look forward to speaking to ex-military guys because you have an understanding of those kind of military values which I think are so transferable to the kind of civilian world and we could learn a lot of lessons from them. So I really appreciate you coming on to speak to me this evening. Very much so, sir. What is the best way for people to to get in touch with you, reach out to you, shoot you a DM or whatever it's going to be? Yeah, the best form is always going to be Instagram because that's the one that I, that's my main platform that I use. Everything that if you're on Facebook and you see Dark Side Podcast because it's been transferred across from Instagram, because um, obviously it's, I do have reach on there, but it's it's always going to be Instagram because I find that it's one of one of the better platforms, should okay. I say? So that would be it. So anybody can obviously give us a follow, you know, drop us a DM, you know, what I mean, because I would say. DMs are there if, if people want to drop us the message or just you know just say hey you know whatever you know come and look at uh, what I'm um, you know either doing a podcast or as many posts as I can physically put out there but you know I mean I've, I appreciate every single person that spends that time that will actually spend their time reading my content because to me that means a lot mm-hmm. because I always said it if I could help one person that would be my job done. And I can honestly say I probably would have finished a long time ago because the amount of positive reaction I've had come back and it's it's humbling. It's mm. absolutely humbling that I get people, complete strangers, just say thank you. Mm. Thank you for what you've wrote there. That's helped me. And I'm like, 
you're more than welcome. Thank you for you, you know, your time. So it's always going to be like Instagram is my main base, I would say. All right, excellent, excellent. Uh, and I'm going to ask you one last question, which I ask uh, all of the guests that come on the podcast. And uh, I've got a sneaky suspicion. I think I might know what your answer is going to be. The question is this, what is it in life that gives you meaning, Chris? That's a good question. And I know what the answer is always going to be, and it will always be family. And I know it's quite cliche because people say that, but why I believe in that is because your family is you and you are your family. You work off each other. And I believe that, like, as a whole, and, like, obviously my wife and my kids, and to me, they're always, they are a part of me that I can look at and be proud of always. Because it's like, I watch them, how they evolve. And hopefully I can be, you know, the dad, the husband, you know, the right man that will actually, you know, put that value back into that, into that circle. And to me, it's like, they'll always come before me. Mm, I love it. I love it. I ask that question every time and I always get a different answer. So I appreciate, I appreciate you sharing that. <laughs> I'm going to leave you to go on your merry way tonight. Uh, but again, thanks once again. Uh, and I wish you all the best with the podcast going forward. I always look forward to jumping in on it. I, like I said, I don't always manage to see the start, but generally it flashes up as I'm approaching Audi. So I will always be yeah, listening yeah. to it. That is for sure. <laughs> yeah, so well, I think you can also connect on iTunes as well, iTunes and Spotify. So if they want to hear the audio version, they can always connect on there as well. So you've got two formats and it's always on Instagram anyway for the live feeds are always there. All right. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you very much, Chris. No, I appreciate it. Thanks for your time there. No worries. Okay. Cheers, man. Take care. I'm really grateful to Chris Michaels for sharing his story and experience with me today. You can check him out over on Instagram and Facebook at the underscore dark side podcast. I'll link all this up in the show notes along with how you can get in touch with Chris and all the other stuff we discussed over at guildofdads.com. One of the things that has fascinated me about the big thinkers of our time is the ability to take apart difficult concepts theories and ideas and put them back together to make sense of them. Chris has done this in order to face down his mental health but like he said there is this childlike curiosity in all of us that's able to do this. The key is harnessing it. What I like about Chris is that he approaches conversations in the same way, unpackaging things, seeing where the dialogue flows and this makes for really insightful and engaging discussion. There's also a video of this interview over on the Guild of Dads YouTube channel and you can link up with me over on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook using the handle at Guild of Dads. I love to hear from my listeners and viewers so if you want to reach out to me, drop me a message, I'd love to hear from you. I'm teaching you how to follow a simple system and plan just like many of my guests in order to transform all areas of your life so that you can live more purposefully with much greater fulfillment and meaning. It's all in my ebook, The Dad Blueprint. You can grab it free over at guildofdads.com forward slash dad. In order to have a positive impact on the world, we improve ourselves and inspire others. The fee for this show is that you share it with others so that they may benefit from anything you find useful or interesting. If you know someone 
that could do with improving their relationships, could do with a life rethink or a different perspective, share this episode with them. The best bit, you don't have to tell them why you're sharing it with them, but it could be just what they need to hear. Week on week, this episode is growing, and if you can get behind what I'm doing, that would be fantastic. Leave a rating and review in whatever podcast player of choice that you're using, and really uh, get involved, get behind Guild of Dads, uh, drop a comment on any of my social media channels, and I'd love to hear from you. Hopefully you find something insightful in every episode, so share it with dads you know, and in the meantime, live a life of vision, action, and meaning. Apply what you hear, and we'll see you next time.